Welcome to the third episode of the Theological Family Ministry Podcast, or TFM as we like to call it. Today we are continuing a conversation that was put online a few weeks ago in episode one about the purpose and the importance of theology in family and children's ministry. This is Pastor Tony Tresoni, and I always am joined by my co-host, Pastor Ben Palaz, down in sunny Georgia. Thank you for joining us today. You referred to some ways that theology with children was valued more in the past than a couple times. Uh, and I want to talk about that briefly, because I really think that past generations valued theological education for kids, and especially for families, far more than we do today, don't you? Uh, yeah, I think so. And certainly that was not everyone, but there's a, a good witness to it. Yeah, absolutely. One that I think of, you know, even from the start of the Protestant Church and the Reformation, uh, we like to think of Luther and Calvin. Um, one of the first things that Lu- both Luther and Calvin produced uh, in their lifetime, one of the first things that they wrote was not great theological treaties, was not a uh, was not uh, on the Jews and their lies, <laughs> a horrible book by Martin Luther, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, but both of them wrote very early on catechisms. Uh, and you want to explain what catechisms are? Yeah, I mean it's simply a form of teaching. It just comes from Greek word katecho. If I teach, I instruct. Um, yeah. I mean I don't have a lexicon in front of me, but that's essentially what it's getting at. And so it's just uh, I can take many different forms, but its intent is to pass on the, the faith once and for all delivered to the saints, as Jude says, um, and teach us how we're to, what we're to believe, and then how we're to, to live uh, with our fellow humans and relate to God. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I, I was just reading earlier, you know, Luther called on a couple of his uh, co-laborers to write a children's catechism, and they just didn't get around didn't to it. I know that. He said, uh, yeah, he says, cool. okay, I'll do this because it's that important. Wow. And so um, and he was pretty uh, dogmatic about it. And he said that those who would not catechize uh, or, you know, submit to being catechized and being taught that they should be uh, essentially thrown out of the uh, the jurisdiction. And uh, if it was a child, the parents should not feed them and uh, things like that. You know, Luther was given to extremes. <laughs> wow. Uh, yes, he was. Just, just a tad, but um, a but he saw it as that critical of a thing to to pass on these essential truths and and how they shape our lives and the the choices that we make. Yeah, those who know me would know I'm a real geek about the English Puritans, and I will go on and rant some other time. I'm sure about how we misunderstand the English Puritans. Uh, but one thing the English Puritans did is they wrote a lot and talked a lot to men. And, you know, in our day that we really value the men's ministry. But I think that they perceived it a really different way. Uh, Puritans were, thought it was important to equip men, to equip men to teach, and equip dads especially to teach, to teach their own kids and to be the pastors of their own household. So, you know, much of their focus then on working with men wasn't to have, you know, men's ministry breakfasts. Though, though, uh, and I doubt that they would have had those opportunities that day. Bacon's wonderful again. Working. So yes, and uh, but nonetheless, they equipped these dads. They worked with dads. They taught dads for the sake of them leading their own households, teaching their own children about their faith. And one of the ways that the Puritan movement was so successful was because dads embraced it. So it was seen as so important that that the Puritan pastors would work with dads to equip them and to make sure that they can lead. And they would give sizable portions of their day to this purpose. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it was. It's a huge, huge responsibility that fathers are given, and and they didn't just make it up. It, scripture is clear, uh, Old and New Testament, where it puts that responsibility on parents, but more specifically, even on fathers. I mean, recently I preached from Ephesians 5 in the beginning of chapter 6, and there's much more specific instruction uh, given toward the husband and yeah, the father absolutely. specifically. And uh, not that mothers or wives are neglected or children, but just the, the primary responsibility, the weight is put on the dad's shoulders. And so it not that it's wrong to have a men's breakfast or a, you know, men's event but uh they need to be geared towards dads this this is the job god's given you um, yeah. i mean for, you know talking about with a husband um in ephesians 5 it doesn't say husbands be the head of your wife it just it says that you are the head Absolutely. he is the head and then now act like it um and so you know you're talking about being the pastor of your family yeah. so you know we just have to help people help dads realize that is their responsibility and then show them what that looks like i mean because chances are they may not have had that modeled for them growing up no exactly yeah and it is such an important task and i think i'll talk more about that in a minute and the importance of parental discipleship and how it's family first and then children but uh, one thing i do want to note too in the history talking about how it was valued so much you talked about publishing houses and how they publish different stuff for kids you know the if you look at the top sellers on what uh, evangelical publishing houses do you'll see some great books out there but you also see some less than ideal books and but very few of the top selling books of the most important things of publishers are children's books that being said our own publisher that uh, Lifeway it was formerly called I think Holman Publishing uh, or Broadman I don't remember to be exact uh, yeah, I, yeah I've read but I, I can't remember the details on that but the first right after the Southern Baptist Convention was founded the first thing that our publishing agency produced was a catechism for children to teach to, for families and parents to teach their children the faith. That's how much we valued it in the past. That's such I did not know that. Yeah, um, it was a very first. And certainly, thing there, there's an emphasis on children's stuff now, but um, you know, I haven't seen a in any Christian books or a catechism out there on the featured titles when you walk in. And it was oh, written wow. by a theology professor at Southern. That tells you something. Yeah, I'm not, I don't remember which one, but it was one of the found, Southern founders uh, that wrote it. So it was pretty crazy. I mean, it shows the emphasis that's not placed today, unfortunately. Um, why is theology important, then, for how we teach kids and equip parents? Uh, practically, how do we see that in their life? Well, you know, it goes back to life is theological. So it's not just that church is theological. It's going to school and doing uh, your schoolwork or playing sports or playing music or helping with the dishes. Those things are theological. Um, you know, I think that when we do that, it gives confidence both to parents and to children in God's Word. And we can handle it well um, and teach parents to handle it well and to, to bring it to bear in their lives, uh, the lives of their kids. Um, Russell Moore, let's talk about informing the consciences of the, your church members. Yeah. Um, you can't foresee and, and and cover every single kind of decision that everyone in the church is going to make but you can you can teach and train and inform their conscience with God's word and with the gospel at the heart uh, so that then they can translate that into their lives and uh, helping them to make godly choices and so you know we're doing some of that if we're teaching children 
at church when it's gathered. But parents are just going to be doing that even more so as they're disciplining their children. You know, a lot of times discipline can be – I was talking to a friend. Uh, actually, we went to college with him, Jesse McCourtney. Um, ah. And he's uh, talking to him this weekend. And That's we were cool. at a wedding. And he's a missionary in Montenegro. Oh, really? And Yeah. And so he's, he, we were talking about family ministry. And he was saying that discipline um, in the, their context, because young believers – it's not really discipline like we would think of biblically. It's just sort of yell at the kid until you get frustrated and then you smack him on the head. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that happens in America too. Um, but it's not, we're not just trying to punish the kid. You know, we're trying to restore them and to teach them the Lord's ways. And so, you know, as we're, we want to try to, to train parents to think on that plane um, and to bridge the gospel to even those disciplinary situations and um you know if not they're going to just default what they've to to what they've learned uh from their parents and from the culture or you know some self-help book or or that kind of thing yeah that's that's great you know i mentioned earlier for me i see it's really relevant uh mentioned earlier kind of the disneyification of kids theology <laughs> and you know and the reality is as you mentioned everyone is a theologian boycott disney t- yeah I, I think the uh, disney can make some great stuff but you just have to have discernment uh and you know it comes from this idea that self-esteem is the most important thing and that's a theology that kids are being taught we might not think of it as a theology but this self-esteem obsession culture is teaching kids a theology it's teaching them a bad theology a really dangerous theology i think uh and i i understanding i think that your self-worth comes and basically realizing that you're the most awesome person ever and everyone has to realize that you know uh, yes, everyone say that together and then say amen. Exactly. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, that's the catechism for our generation, isn't it? Hey, well, and I had a guy in my uh, my church in Louisville, Kentucky, um, who was joking about that kind of thing. And he said, well, of course God loves me because I love me so much. <laughs> wow. That's, you know, yeah, and yeah, that well, just really sums true. it up. Absolutely. Um, and you, you're right. It is a theology of, of almost self-worship. Yeah, and I think that on the other hand, you know, I, when we teach a theology to kids and, and equip parents for this sake, we're going to radically shift that. I like to talk about Christ esteem as opposed to self-esteem, and I probably have a whole podcast on that maybe. But basically, instead of finding their identity and how awesome they are, they find their identity how awesome Jesus is, despite how deserving of punishment that they are. Uh, and, you know, even, even worth, I think a great and theological understanding that a kid could have of their own self-worth comes from uh, the Getty song that uh, my worth is not in what I own. My worth is not in what I own, uh, nor in the strength of flesh and bone, but in the precious uh, wounds of Christ at the cross. Uh, you know, I mean, our worth doesn't come from our, some intrinsic amazing value where everyone should bow down to us, but our worth comes from the righteousness that we can have through Jesus. And I mean, we come out of the womb thinking that we're pretty awesome and that everyone else exists to serve us. And, and then the culture just only Absolutely. amps that up. So, you know, I mean, we're, we're trying to, we're very careful about the things that um, our kids take in. And my kids are, my oldest one is, you know, just barely in school. And, um, you know, she hasn't absorbed a whole lot of that. But uh, so, you know, I just shudder to think others that, that have, you know, imbibe that from, you know, the quote character education or values of the month or those kind of things, yeah. uh, and a steady diet of that for years. 
um, it's you know really a problem. Yeah, and we're not teaching them against it at church. We're not educating them in a biblical worldview. We're just kind of embracing what they're taught by the world. But even I think worse than that as not just a sense of self-worth, but really an understanding of regeneration. That, you know, I think ministries, curriculums like what I mentioned earlier, they teach a theology that we really don't need to be born again. We just kind of need to obey. And that our obedience should come from our own nature, you know. That kids just pick up, the, uh, pick up yourself and obey more. Rather than realizing that we can't even fully obey God until we are born again. Until Christ has given us a new heart. Uh, assuming then, I think that that our old dead heart can obey, can produce good works. It's like the Pharisees, really. But instead, I think a biblical idea would be to not have your kids just seek to be good Christian kids, as I like to refer to this. Not just have them be uh, good, obedient old kids that are going to be saved by their obedience. But instead, to realize that I'm bad, Mom and Dad. I'm bad, Pastor Tony. Uh, I need to be born again. I need to be saved. I need to be given that new heart that we can have through uh, coming to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And that's so very different, you know, and it roots our justification. It roots our sense of security and our salvation, not in whether I'm better than the next guy, but in whether I really know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Absolutely. Um, and that's, you could get a lot of mileage out of that. Um yeah, I, I had a thought that I was going somewhere as you were finishing up, and then it just escaped my mind, so <laughs> we'll say amen to that. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Great. Uh, yeah, and with that, you know, we're talking about the gospel. Why is the gospel especially important and central in teaching children? Um, well, just to be frank, if we don't, we run the risk of damning them. Um, if they think... And this kind of goes along with what you're just saying. If they think they can please God by being good or, you know, not stealing, not drinking, not having sex until they're married, uh, or, you know, some for some, even you know, not voting Democrat or, or whatever you <laughs> want to put the thing in, uh, you insert yeah. your, your prohibition of choice, then, you know, they don't realize the depth of their fallenness. Absolutely. And that it's not just, you know, repeat this prayer, um, say these words, or check off mentally, I agree this is true, but it's that you do need to be born again um you know george whitfield the uh, one of the big preachers of the great awakening in the mid-1700s went around and I, I can't remember the exact number but a few thousand times preached on john 3 that you must be born again to see the kingdom of god and someone asked him why do you keep saying you must be born again you must be born again and he said because sir you must be born again um and just reiterating how vital it yeah. was you know, Absolutely. that you, it's not just a matter of trying to improve yourself, it's that yep. you're dead and you need to be made alive. And so, um, teach in it, you know, there's a, I'm sure we'll probably talk about this at some point else, but uh, the book Shepherding Child's Heart by uh, Ted Tripp yeah. talks about that, you know, setting a high bar so that your kids don't think, okay, I just can meet these bare requirements and God will be pleased. It's showing them, no, you can't. Absolutely. You can't live up to it. You need yeah. his his grace to cover you um, and then to change you. You know, I think there's a, such a drought too, especially in gospel understanding and children's family ministry. Uh, last year, not this past year, not this year, but the previous year's VBS, we had kind of a theological question of each day for the kids. And the last question for the last day was uh, basically like, how can you be saved? How can you go to heaven? 
and none of the kids, not only did they get the questions wrong, all the kids that kind of went forward on the stage and answered it, it's not only just that, but they didn't mention Jesus at all. Not a single one of them mentioned the name. You know, it takes a while for them to really ingrain in. And, and I think that shows, I mean, these kids, all these kids that went up had been part of not just our VBSs in years in the past, but have been part of many other churches' VBSs, have been, have been members of churches, have been going to evangelical churches for years and years and years. But when their default answer of how can I be saved is n never mentioning Jesus at all, there's a problem. Yeah, I mean, it's. I was talking to someone um, who's uh, this weekend who is uh, would identify themselves as progressive theologically, meaning like they don't want to take the Bible fully literally, um, or uh, that's probably a bad description. Uh, I don't take the Bible fully literally because when it intends to be taken as a metaphor, I want to take it as a metaphor. Uh, but who wouldn't uh, affirm the full truthfulness of Scripture? Yeah. Put it that way, um, and he was talking about, though, how people have moved away from the Jesus-centeredness of Christianity. And I thought, you know, I agree with you. Um, we can't rally around some kind of you know, political movement or some kind of moral cause. While those may flow out of our Christian faith, I mean, Jesus is the center. And, you know, Tim Keller says it's not the gospel is not just the ABCs of the Christian life. It's the A to Z of the Christian Amen. life. It's, you know, it's the pathway and the shape of it. It's not yeah. just this door we walk through and then, you know, we go about and do our, our thing. Yeah, absolutely. A couple of things that I mentioned in light of that, you know, on that. You know, with children's programs, often, a lot of the times, these ones that we're critiquing, and I, I think that they're easy targets, unfortunately, but it's not just, it's not that Jesus isn't taught. Uh, and the curriculum that uh, our children were in, heard from, were, or they heard some sense of a gospel proclamation to, uh, recently, I think, fit that exactly. That it's not that they don't mention Jesus at all. It's that they basically just mention Jesus and Christmas and Easter. Uh, kind of priester <laughs> gospel, really. Christmas, Easter gospel. Which, you know, if uh, the gospel of the message of Jesus, when Jesus said, all scripture testify concerning me, uh, when the Bible shows that all of the Bible is about the message of the cross, and we preach it on Four, and we preach it 4% of the time that we teach children, there's a bit of a problem, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if you're just drawing moral lessons from the other t passages of Scripture, which, you know, some people want to knock that and just make fun of someone who would draw a moral lesson from something in the Old Testament or, you know, the life of someone... I think they need to take a few steps back if they're going to do that because Scripture itself draws moral lessons. Yeah, um, I mean, Paul talks about that. You know, these things happen in Israel in the, the desert yeah. so that you would be warned and you wouldn't um, follow in their steps. And, you know, there are other examples of that. And so yeah. that's and appropriate for us to learn how to live. Um, but like you said, I mean, Jesus himself, we're taking, taking it that, that he was right that all of scripture, you know, these things testify concerning me. And uh, <clears throat> so if he says that the sinner, then we really need to take that seriously. Amen. Yeah. And, you know, I think you're referring to Paul's commands and the commands in the Old Testament. I do think that they have much to say to us. But even when these commands are given, it is so important to note. A lot, a lot of theologians like to say every imperative in the Bible is based on an indicative, uh, which means uh, every command is based upon something already done for us. So, and if you do study Paul's letters, it's interesting. It always proves true that whenever the Bible tells us to to go and do something, it's based it's based upon first 
rooting us in the gospel. It's first Jesus did for us. Now go and do. It's not just go and do, Johnny. Not just Johnny be good. It's always first Jesus, and then this is how we respond to the magnificent grace that we have in Jesus. And we should obey God because of Jesus. Exactly, yeah. Responding, um, yeah. Yeah. It's the... It's the fruit and not the root. Yeah, and briefly, I want to mention, I think relevant to this, and I'd like to have a whole podcast on this one time, but I I think a real way to hit this at the heart, Jack Clumberhauer, who's a pastor of Family Ministries, uh, he has written a lot, a lot of really great resources on family and children's ministries. And he, in one blog, he had a kind of a test uh, that, he, that he wrote about that he puts everything that he teaches the children through. And he won't teach kids if it doesn't pass this test. And the question is, could I teach this lesson if Jesus hadn't died, arisen from the dead, and ascended into heaven? I mean, if he, if he can't teach it without any of those being true, then basically that's no different than a Jewish story or maybe a Muslim story or an atheist story. And he throws it out if he's worked on a lesson and it, that lesson would work without Jesus. And I think that's something that all family and children's people need to have that kind of focus, don't you? Yeah, I think it's a great test. And uh, you recommended that book to me, and I started it. I just haven't finished it. Uh, not because it wasn't good. It just I had other stuff going on. Well, but, the uh, test is from his blog, not from the book. But yes. oh, okay, I don't feel so bad now. Uh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, blogging. It's totally 2016. Uh, now, transition briefly. How can we see parents uh, be the primary disciples of kids? And uh, I know we'll flesh this out a lot more in further podcasts, but uh, just kind of brief thoughts on that. Uh, I think you tell them, you encourage them, you equip them. You tell them, you encourage them, you equip them. And you just you keep going and, and putting that vision before them um, through personal conversations, through public teaching, through various avenues that you have, um, and encourage them that they can do it, that, that God has, has given them yeah. children, and so then he's given them that responsibility, and he'll give them the grace for it. And just really very practically show them how to do it with you know you you sit down and model how to have a family devotion in time of reading the bible yeah. and praying together um or here's some questions to ask or you send them a, a weekly email based on the sunday school lesson or just give them very very tangible practical easy ways don't set the bar too high and expect them to you know learn you know we're going to recite the, or memorize the book of leviticus this year or something um that's probably a goal that's going to be beyond where most people are starting at um but just <laughs> try to try to put it on the ground and um and encourage and yeah. and pray that god would work that's good yeah you know i i really think that when we embrace family ministry and we're going to talk a lot about that almost every church is going to say that they believe that parents uh, are the leaders of their home, are the spiritual leader of the home. Almost every Christian would say that. I think some studies have shown that the vast majority of Christians believe that parents are the, head, the spiritual head of their household. Yet, you know, that it's all talk often. You know, it's meaningless, uh, that expression that parents are the primary disciples. If we don't actually 
intentionally do things and instead of catering to the drop-off approach that I like to talk about. But I think what we really mean when we say that parents are the primary disciples of their home is that parents are actively going to be teaching their kids about the faith at home. That parent that what we teach at church is going to be brought home. And I think you do a great job mentioning, you know, even with what we teach, we take do send home take homes. You te- talk to parents about how that they can lead family worship or family devotions, as one might call it. it you know, and I think that needs to be overwhelmingly the focus. That I like to say in our in our statement of faith, our vision for children and family ministry, we believe that. Our ministry exists first to equip and then to supplement what parents are teaching their kids. And it always, I think, has to be understood in that order. Uh, you know, what was, uh, we'll talk about a lot of ways specifically that we can get into that, but we need to be active in partnering with parents. Churches need to be intentional in that. Find ways to be equip parents to be teaching in the home. Uh, how, and and one way that I think that we really do that, again, is lessons that are connected to home. If we're teaching something at church, it's inappropriate that parents have no knowledge, have no connection, how they can reinforce what they're t- teaching at the home. Don't you agree? Yeah, it's really, um, unless you have a parent who's really informed and really motivated, which doesn't always happen. I mean, sometimes it, it does, um, but you know, people are busy, and um, unless that is, like you said, you know, a lot of people see this as my job, but then it's the knowing how to do it that's yeah. sometimes the, the difficulty. But it's a very, very easy way to to put it before them, so that you know. And I send out this weekly email based on the Sunday school lesson, that's and cool. and it, you know, it was something that I found in, in the materials that oh, this is great. Well, I hadn't been doing this before, and so I just adapted some. But um, so uh, shout out to Lifeway there, it, you Absolutely. know, for providing that resource. But I put in the the opening remarks. I said, you know, how much more could this take root in your child's life if they hear it more than once? I mean, that's how memory works. Uh, and not that you, we just want them to remember it, but yeah. when you already have some categories, some box, mental boxes to put things in, and then you hear it again, you go, oh, and you can make more sense of it and yeah. um, get more out of it. And so. Um, I mean, that's I think it's a great way. And when you think about it, you know, with that mentioning that, we can see how important family discipleship is, and not just how it's commanded in Scripture. And I'd like to talk one time about the Bible passages concerning that. But even just <clears throat> logistically, I'm um, say that we get an hour with the kids on Sunday and parents were to give half an hour every day to some kind of family discipleship, family worship, anything like that, just over time, that means that uh, parents make three and a half times as much impact just by doing that little over a long time. I mean, that's amazing how much of an impact that can have, you know? Yeah, and that's just direct teaching time, not to mention just yeah. them watching you live life the way you talk to the person on the phone that you know things aren't going the right way yeah. or um just so much else that they're absorbing and yeah. so it really pales in compa- in comparison you know to what the time at the church gathered can do absolutely well that i think that was a great discussion for this podcast uh So we'll go ahead and close out this podcast. And uh, thank you again for joining us for the Theological Family Ministry Podcast. And we hope you have an excellent day. And we hope that you're encouraged as you disciple your own kids and work with children in church.